All right, it is, uh, it's 9.30, so we can, uh, we can get started here with our study of the confessions of the church and creeds. Uh, I'm going to open us in, in prayer, so let's, let's all pray. Glorious and all-wise and loving Father in heaven, we come before you on this day on authority of your son Jesus, uh, thanking you for the new mercy of this day, thanking you for the love that you give us in waking us up and feeding us, providing for us. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity that we have in coming together uh, to hear from your word, uh, to love one another, uh, and to worship you. We ask that you would give us uh, the ability to understand your word this morning, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would feel your presence here as we endeavor to learn more about the creeds and confessions that have been in the scriptures, as well as the ones that have come uh, after the canon has been closed. So we praise you uh, this morning, and we ask for your help. On the authority of your son Jesus, we ask. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to get into Lesson 62, which is the Confessions of the Church and Creeds. And the big idea or the big statement that we're going to circle around is the fact that confessions and creeds are important because they clarify what we believe the Bible teaches. I'll state that again. Confessions and creeds are important because they clarify what we believe the Bible teaches. And the foundational passage that we'll look at in that idea is from Jude 3. And I'll read that here real quickly. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that is our, the passage that we'll circle around uh, and, and have our, as our foundation uh, for this morning. Just a few things up front in the beginning. We'll define creeds, and right now uh, I'll explain it as a system or religious belief uh, is a faith. Uh, so when you think about the term creeds, you think about a belief statement. So an easy one as an example is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. So it's a belief system. And the definition of confessions is a confession is a manual of Christian doctrine drawn up in the form of essays normally. Confessions are typically written in chapter format grouped according to a particular subject. So you may have a, a, a confession that says this is what the scriptures, of the scriptures or the Trinity or man, you know, these big headings that you find. And, and normally there are a great number of, of proof texts that provide scriptural basis for each subject. Now, so why, why is it important? We're going to talk about that a little bit and as we get into that, we'll discuss how with confessions and creeds, 
it is, it is normally rel relatively easy for a, a local church in isolation to come up with statements of faith or position papers on a narrow subject uh, at a local church. However, it is a little bit more theologically challenging to gather many church leaders from multiple churches, normally from the same denomination, but maybe even from, uh, from other denominations at times, for the purpose of hammering out serious doctrinal positions, particularly when we're clarifying critical, essential Christian doctrines that have been fiercely debated in that particular era. And only those confessions and creeds that withstand the biblical test of scrutiny will endure. So, real briefly, I'll give you an example here of a creed in Scripture, Matthew 16, verses 15 through 16, where, real quickly, I'll just read this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here we have an example where Peter says to Jesus what he believes, like a creedal statement. You are the Christ the son of the living God. So creed, creeds are also beliefs that Christians have embraced over thousands of years. So while we have this one in particular that's in the Gospels, we also have the Apostles' Creed, for example, that came after the canon was closed. And as I mentioned at the beginning, those creeds normally begin with, I believe, like I believe in God the Father Almighty. Confessions also are found in Scripture um, and I'll give you an example, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. And briefly reading that, and you're familiar with the story, I'm quite sure. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts me from you. So here Ruth confesses that she is bound to the God of Naomi. This was her confession of faith. Confessions are also doctrinal position statements that sought to explain what Christians believe the scriptures to say. So an example of a creed, as I mentioned before, is the Apostles' Creed, and an example of a confession is maybe the 1689 that we subscribe to here or the Westminster Confession of Faith. So again, the, the big idea is confessions and creeds are important because they clarify what the Bible teaches. And as I mentioned, Jude 3 is the verse uh, that we refer to with, with that. And I'll read it again here briefly. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Any questions before we go into the first part where we specifically dive into the importance of creeds and confessions? Any questions? Yes. So would you say that the creeds and confessions are explanations of the like, Yes. Yeah, creeds and confessions are explanations that talk about what church doctrine is. So what occurs is there is, well, a creed more specifically, is typically a belief statement that someone makes. A confession typically talks about what is believed about the Bible or specific doctrines. And over the course of, of, of church history, there have been maybe 15 or even more 
confessions that specifically dealt with a tension point that drove those writers or authors to develop a confession to explain or to solve the dispute. Can you all hear me back there as well? Okay, good. All right. So if someone could turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we're going to use that passage throughout. Uh, someone could, could read that. We're going to talk about the purpose of creeds and confessions. And when, you, when you've turned there, just begin reading. Yes, so what we have here is a type of creedal statement in the New Testament that teaches us the belief that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are other passages of scripture that are similar. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6.4, we have, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall believe, I mean, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I already referenced the Matthew 16, 16 passage where Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3, where Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, and according to what the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Ephesians 4, which was just read. There are, and, and then we also have examples of confessions of faith. There are two big passages. We won't read them all, or, or all the verses there, but if, if someone could turn to Acts chapter 2, um, verses 14 through 40. And here we have an issue going on and Peter stands up and he addresses those who are present because there was a question about what they had just observed. So without reading all of the verses here, I'm just going to highlight, just follow me here in verses 14 through 40, these particular statements that Peter makes that line up what his confession of faith is and that we followed. Verse 15, he says, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's pointing back to the Old Testament passage uh, that, that, that Joel had spoken of. Looking down at verse 21, it even gets more specific. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he's even getting more specific. Verse 22, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So now he's even talking more specifically about who God is. I mean, who and who Jesus is. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So now we have Jesus who, according to the foreknowledge of God, so now another marker of, of his confession here, 
And then he also talks about the fact that this Jesus could not be bound by death. Right. So then we look at verse 27. He goes further and he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. Again, another specific statement about Jesus Christ. And then in verse 31, he says he spoke, he, he, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not ashamed, not abandoned to, to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, talking about the fact that Christ was resurrected. Being therefore, this is verse 33, exalted at the right hand of God. So now we're talking about the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in power and authority. Again, another specific statement about his confession. And then verses 37 through 39, there was a question asked. And then Peter says to them, with their question, he says, repent and be baptized. This is verse 38. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is for you and your children. So in this passage here, we see that there was a question, what is going on here? And Peter addresses, and he gives specific detail in these doctrinal statements that says, this is what happened, and this is the truth, and he points to the Old Testament, and then he goes into what happened that they've seen with, with, with Christ and his resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit is expounded upon there as well. A second type of confession of faith would be in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 50. I'm not going to go into the, the verses there, but if you look at that as we're, as we're going through this lesson, you'll see that Stephen was challenged because there was, again, a dispute going on. And they challenged him, well, what do you believe? You know, you're, you're, you're causing all this uh, turmoil. Um, so what do you believe? And Stephen, in those 50 verses, starts with Abraham and proceeds for those 50 verses to lay out, this is what I believe. So the next point that we'll go to here is, why do creeds exist? Why do they even matter? Why, why is it important? So there are five points here that I'll go over. And hopefully they'll be helpful to you. I know they were helpful to me as I prepared for this. First one is written confessions keep believers from having to reinvent the will regarding doctrinal positions. All right, so... Just think about the, the, the fact or, or, or the challenge that we would have if every time uh, we, we, we gave the gospel to someone and then they, beca they, they became uh, saved, um, and then them having to understand and try to figure out what has already been delivered um, to the saints. So we have the Bible, and the Bible gives us a foundation of that. And everything that we need is in the scriptures. Um, at the same time, creeds and confessions, creeds in a succinct way kind of lay out what our beliefs are. And then confessions even get more specific. The second reason why they matter is because to the outsider, to those who visit among us, to those who are in our homes, uh, it is a means of expressing what we believe in a way that is not secret or hidden, 
and in a way that is not cast into our own individual taste. It enables any visitors to find out what Christians believe. So there's nothing secretive about what's in the scriptures, um, and there's nothing secretive with regard to the creeds and the confessions. It's, it's up front for everyone to see. The third reason why we have creeds and confessions is that it guards against movements. It guards against this new thing that has popped up, or this new belief, or this new understanding, or this new revelation. Well, we know that the scriptures here, you know, this, this has not changed. And so when someone comes along with a new thinking or a new explanation of something, our creeds and confessions help us to stay anchored. Uh, a fourth reason is because it pro, 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 uh, promotes and it uh, encourages unity when necessary and separation when necessary. So, you know, if you think about um, those who are, say, persecuted um, or in a situation in which there's a challenge to the gospel, uh, you know, we certainly can, you know, get into, well, at the Lord's Supper, is it his body really there, or is it, you know, is it transubstantiation, is it consubstantiation, we can get into all those things, but at the end of the day, when we're persecuted or when we're challenged, creeds and confessions have a way of unifying believers around the scriptures once delivered, and sure, there are specific points that we do give value to when we discuss what we believe and, and why we believe it. But confessions and creeds do lend itself to helping us to be unified when we should be. And lastly, confessions and creeds help us to avoid ditches and fads that lead into heresy. Uh, it, it, it helps us to make sure that as we understand our creeds and confessions, uh, that we uh, don't kind of fall into a particular uh, new thought, as I mentioned in point three. So the purpose of the confessions and creeds is to, is to, is to encourage unity and clarity. Um, many of us have learned a hard way that the most condemning standards are unwritten ones, right? But a biblical confession, however, frees the believing community from the shackles of secret laws. It liberates us from self-imposed standards and also makes the church open to all uh, who, who understand those same standards. So are there any, any questions on that, on that point? Yes. Right, right. There's some pretty standard things, but but actually, like practically, what what they teach mm -hmm. is not what we say. Right. Uh, biblical. That is so true. So, so it's not just having it on paper, but but how does it actually manifest in the church? How do you live it out? And what does that mean to you in your life? Right. Right. That's so true. So that's actually a good a good segue to to the next section, which is the improper use of creeds and confessions. And so with the improper use of creeds and confessions, let's look at Galatians chapter 1, 
verses 6 through 12. Let's look at that. And if someone could just read verse 8. That is uh, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 12. Right, so Paul again is clarifying here uh, the importance of right understanding of what God has already said. It teaches us that no creed nor confession should be used to replace, to replace Scripture, nor should it be received as on par with Scripture. So just as my brother Kyle just mentioned there, you know, you can have a statement of faith or you can have a confession on your website, you know, and it could even actually be something that um, is true biblically. Um, but one, you have to make sure that you follow scripture in so much as it lines up with scripture. But even more importantly, we don't, we don't want to um, hold up a creed or a confession above scripture because it all must come from scripture. I mean, there are some churches that refer to their confession of faith as much as they do their Bible. And in those churches, some members even get the impression that the confession of faith should be of equal value or importance as their Bible. In fact, I've even actually heard some Christians say they have their confession of faith in their pocket prepared for them, and they just refer to that confession of faith, and they just love that confession. Um, others will state that their creed that they believe in makes it such that they don't even have to go to church they don't have to fellowship with believers. They just believe in God the Father Almighty. Yeah, I understand. I believe in Christ, you know, and so I just, that's what I live by. I don't need to go to church. I don't need a fellowship. I don't need to look at the scriptures at all because I, I understand the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so th these are improper uses of the creeds and confessions. Creeds and confessions of faith are not supposed to replace scripture, church attendance, meaningful fellowship with believers, while it is helpful that churches from time to time explain these creeds and confessions, they should be used sparingly and referenced sparingly. In the other direction, churches that ascribe to creeds and confessions should not do so in a manner in which their members are not even aware they exist in their church. Placing too much emphasis on creeds and confessions is dangerous, just as placing too little importance on them is equally as problematic. Now, let's look at the proper use of creeds and confessions. Uh, Romans 10, verse 10. Let's look at that verse quickly. If someone could read verse 10, that would, that would help us out. For with the heart one believes and is certified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Yes, yes. So we have here that the proper use of creeds and confessions will aid us in our thinking through a multitude of theological topics and doctrines. Here, with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Every Christian had to, at some point, confess their belief in Jesus. Every Christian continually confesses their belief. And the proper use of creeds and confessions articulates the essence of true Christian faith. They can help identify true Christians and promote unity, and they define boundaries of true Christian faith. Creeds and confessions can help us identify false Christians and help Christians rightly divide from heretics. Some may say, I believe in God. 
to which we legitimately reply, okay, which one? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or another one? Do you subscribe or understand or believe in the God-man, Jesus Christ, or are you saying he's someone else? Are you saying that Christ is, is a created being? Are you saying that he is deity, that he is the hypostatic union, God and man, 100%? So when creeds and confessions are used properly, they are used with scriptures in a manner in which they support what the scriptures already state. Creeds and confessions may be corrected by the scriptures. So did you catch that? So a creed or confession may actually be corrected by the scriptures. So they don't stand alone. They actually submit themselves to the scriptures. Our creeds and confessions aid us in summarizing our beliefs and doctrinal positions, which always must yield to what already exists. A Christian may believe in a creed and or confession in large part, but not agree on every position contained in that creed or confession and still be a Christian. So the Apostles' Creed or the 1689 or whatever we subscribe to, someone may say, well, what about this line in the creed? Or what about this statement in the confession? Okay, well, we can wrestle with those and we can be uncomfortable with those, but that does not say that we're, we are or are not a Christian. Whether or not we're a Christian is based upon us believing that the scriptures are the infallible word of God, once delivered to the saints for our salvation, sanctification, and understanding that Christ will return to make all things new. So we stand on the scriptures. We can wrestle with the creeds and confessions. And the last point in this section that I'll mention is uh, the, and the, 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 the importance of unity, liberty, and charity. As you see in, on Roman numeral ID there, in the in, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity. If we look at Luke chapter 9 verses 49 and 50, if someone could read verse 50, that would help us along here. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 50. Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, since he who is not against us is on our side. Yes, absolutely. So we see here that it teaches that we are to strive for theological unity whenever we can. Creeds and confession should always point the Christian to essentials. Creeds provide Christians with essential Christian doctrine within a belief statement that is normally broad. So when you think of a creed, think broad, like broadly uh, encompassing uh, a lot of latitude. Creeds are usually allowed for liberty within non-essentials within Christianity because its purpose is to briefly state what it is to be a Christian in the most basic of terms. However, confessions of faith are normally more specific. They get into theological weeds. Confessions also leave room for liberty, and their purpose is to provide a deeper clarity on specific theological questions that creeds are not meant to explain. So when you look at the Apostles' Creed and you look at the 1689, there's a big difference. The Apostles' Creed is short, 
and 689 is pages and chapters and so on. Any questions before we go to the next, the next section here? Yes. Right. Well, if I understand your question correctly, I don't think that he's necessarily saying that that tradition and history is bad. Okay. So, you know, we stand on. I mean, there are there are books of the Bible that are historical, and and their explanation and 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 use for us are, are they're, they're historical in nature. So, what Paul is saying here is is that what he's been given is a, enough for us for salvation, and anyone who adds to that, let him be accursed. So in other words, if, he's, if someone wants to add to salvation works, for example, then let him be accursed. So when, when he's talking about as much as you're, you're asking, say, tradition, well, as long as those traditions of old line up with salvation by faith alone and grace alone, then yes, he's, he is standing upon the tradition there, I think Paul would even actually say that what he has been given actually lines up with the Old Testament scriptures in their true expression that they were, that they were meant, meant to be given. So I don't know if that, if that helps uh, somewhat, but I don't, I, just, I don't think that we throw out tradition or history within the church, and I don't think Paul would say that either. He would say we have to think rightly about those things and embrace them the way that they were intended. Does that, does that help? Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't suggest him throwing out scripture. It's more of, yeah. I, I see it as a hierarchy of authority, as a you know, tradition being subject to scripture and I'm subject to tradition. Um, and so I was, I was trying to figure out where, where we make the distinction that it is subject to scripture and it's not, in fact, alongside scripture in, in Christ's revelation. Right. We could talk about that a little bit later after, after class, but I'll, I'll say that any tradition that we have a question about, we would go to the scriptures to see if that tradition lines up with what's already there. And if it does, then we, then we hug that tightly. That's, that's just, just briefly, but we could talk about that later. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so then what, what is exactly the purpose of it? 
the scripture can be used by different sides to say different things. It's about different denominations. To some degree, speaks to that. Right. Um, so why why should it be used sparingly? Maybe it's my point. And there is mm-hmm. a little difference there between saying quoting the Westminster Confession a ton and Nicene or Apostles' Creed a lot. Right. Because they do hold a little bit different gravity in terms of authority. Right. Right. Well, the reason why I would say sparingly, and and maybe a little bit more than sparingly, I mean, I think you make a good point, is because any writing that is outside of the scriptures are going to be faulty in some way. So if someone says, okay, and not in the Nicene Creed, I mean, I agree with, I mean, it is, it is a good representation of what the scriptures say. However, if we really drill down into the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and we lean into it, one may, A, interpret it, interpret the same language in many different ways, and then where do you go? So then to, to that I say, okay, well, the Nicene Creed and Apostle Creed may be a good starting point, but to really, you have to go back to the scriptures, and you have to lean into the scriptures really more so than I would say any creed or confession. But, I mean, I think you make a good point. You know, if, if you cite the Nicene Creed or Apostle's Creed, that would be a correct thing to do. I'm just, I'm just making the point that that should not be where we end. Is, is, is. So in that example, using it sparingly, I have a coworker who's Catholic. We, you know, talk, had discussions before about the gospel and beliefs, and we'll, we'll both affirm the Nicene Creed. And you know, I'm like, what do you believe? And he recited the Nicene Creed, and solid. Let's talk about that. And then that's where we divide. Right. You know? Right. That's, that's excellent point. Does that, does that help out? Okay, very good. All right, so we're going to now go briefly into creeds, and then we'll go into confessions, and then we'll talk about how they're helpful. So creeds are intentionally broad. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, we've already kind of covered that. I think someone actually read verse 16 for us. So just for emphasis sake, I'll state this. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. So that creedal statement that Peter made, it it teaches us that creeds are intentionally broad enough for us to be saved. So everything that was necessary for Peter to stand upon this rock and to confess that was good for him and good unto salvation. I'll even get more brief here and, um, and go to Daniel and talk about how in Daniel 3, 
we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who made a belief statement and showed that they belonged to the God of the, of the scriptures when they were confronted with the fiery furnace. Then we also look at uh, other examples of scripture where you see these brief statements. I think I mentioned Ruth as well. So you see from time to time these, these brief statements that are statements of belief, and it's not to be taken that that statement of belief is the beginning necessarily of them being a Christian. It's an evidence uh, that God has changed the heart already, and then they have confessed, I believe this. The next part here, creeds are normally shorter statements. John 3, 16. Uh, we haven't um, looked at that yet, uh, and you can turn there. I'll, I'll just read it real quickly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, and this simply teaches us that God loved his people so much that he sent his son to rescue us from the wrath to come. And this is a brief verse that for thousands of years, many Christians have clung to as a type of creed. Or I this is what I believe. I, I am a Christian. I believe John 3.16. So in the same way, creeds are brief uh, belief statements that Christians have embraced, embraced over uh, many, many centuries. And uh, remember that Christianity has mostly been an oral tradition and faith uh, until the, invent the invention of the printing press in the 15th century. So only recently we're running around here with the scriptures um, of the last couple of centuries. But before that, it was you know, David giving me the gospel, me understanding it because God has opened my heart to understand it. And then I'm changed. And so then I, 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 I run with that and say, I believe in Christ. And so creeds are meant to be in that same vein of their brief statements that the Christian can hold on to tightly. The next section here, what we believe matters, again, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 12. We don't have to read it. We've already covered that. But to the extent to which our beliefs about God and man should be broad is a basic matter. So, so why does it matter? Because God is our creator. He is one. He is triune. He is sovereign. He is our redeemer. All life must submit to him. Man is created. Man is born in sin. Man cannot redeem himself. Man can be saved from wrath, the wrath to come by admitting his sin, accepting the finished work that Jesus Christ completed on the cross as he took on the punishment that we deserve upon himself. Man can be saved by placing his faith in Christ alone for his redemption, knowing it is by God's grace alone that he may be saved. So in a very basic way, what we believe and understand may be somewhat broad. I mean, I just hit some broad strokes there. I mean, I didn't get into, you know, um, like I said before, is at the Lord's Supper, is his body present or not? And I didn't get into all that. We just got into some basic, in those few statements, some basic broad strokes about what we believe, and it is important. The last section here, creeds help Christians understand the broad original intent of what God has said. We see in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and we don't have to turn there at, at this moment, but we see there that Jesus shared with them on that road of Emmaus that 
all that had been said before by Moses and the prophets pointed to him. And he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So creeds help us to broadly understand who created everything. They help us to understand the role of Christ. They help us to understand in part about the role of the Holy Spirit. They help us to understand sin is man's greatest problem. They help us to understand that Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath that was due to us that he took upon himself. So in these broadest of terms possible, creeds convey the original intent of what God has shared with his people. And the original intent is found in the scriptures. Any questions before we go to confessions? All right. Confessions. They are intentionally longer, as you probably notice as look, looking at confessions um, in your spare time. Acts chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. We probably should read that. If someone could read those verses, we'll dive in here. Well, then as, you, as you're, you're turning those pages, this teaches us that in the first century church, it was critical to address disputes and settle matters by using the word of God. All right, so does someone have verses four through six? So just picture this scene, right? They're gathering together, and apparently they were rejoicing, right? In verse 4, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So everybody's all happy, but some believers, and that word, they were believers who belonged to a certain party of the Pharisees. They rose up and they said, wait a minute. You got to have circumcision and you got to keep the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. Right. So the apostles and elders, they were gathered together and they considered the matter. So while many may not consider the Jerusalem Council here in Acts 15 to have a final outcome of a confession of faith. It did lay the foundation for confessions of faith in subsequent years and centuries. It had all of the elements needed to produce a confession of faith. It had a conflict over essential doctrine regarding salvation. It had two distinct groups, both who believed they had a legitimate position from which to stand. It had a gathering to discuss the matter, and it resulted in a ruling based on what God had said. This is why the historic confessions of faith are usually lengthy. From the earliest recorded confessions of faith dating back to 529 AD, the Canons of Council of Orange, to the Baptist uh, Confession of Faith 689, most of these confessions of faith were responding to some type of dispute or conflict, whether it was great or small. Some of them were smaller than others. Others were, were greater and profound. The length of the documents provided clarity regarding the issues that were in dispute at the time. Some confessions of faith were more controversial as they were dealing with matters of sharp disagreement and others served as more of just clarifying documents that were ultimately not much different than a previous confession. 
An example of that is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the 1689. You know, one, you know, they're very similar. You can probably look at them and tell that the main difference is maybe baptism and maybe a few other points. So the next point here, confessions are narrow, normally more narrow in their doctrinal positions. That same passage will just stay there, Acts 15. The Jerusalem Council addressed this, the narrow issue of mandating a circumcision and the keeping of the law as essential to salvation. It addressed the narrow issue of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. That was the narrow issue of the day that would be later addressed in subsequent confessions of faith. Just like at that time, over the last 2,000 years, a multitude of narrow, specific matters of doctrinal dispute have arisen and resulted in confessions of faith. These confessions of faith have served to provide all with specific doctrinal positions. These specific positions provide Christians with clear language that allow the church members an opportunity to know specifically what their church believes. Now, why does it matter, right? So what we confess it matters. Even what we narrowly confess matters. Acts 15, verses 28 and 29. So this is the back end of that passage, right, that we're talking about. This is the back end. And so in verse 28, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us to lay on to you no greater burden than these requirements. So now there's a conclusion and there's, there's, a, there's a decision. And so let's talk about that. We see that this outcome was a decision that was filled with freedom in Christ. Right? So they looked at, they looked at the, the, the Old Testament scriptures. They, they walked with Jesus. They heard what he taught and said. And ultimately they said, you know what? We cannot lay on you that you need to be circumcised and follow the law. Because Christ has fulfilled the law when he was nailed to the cross on our behalf. He, he, he's finished that work. So today, we believe in many things about our Christian walk. We do not even think about the impact of our beliefs. Every aspect of what the Christian thinks about a particular church creed or confession will dictate how we live our lives. And I would submit to you that even though we are creedal and confessional and we stand under scriptures, we should always think about the liberty in Christ that we have with all, of, with, with all that we believe. The last section here, confessions help the Christians from entertaining heretical and dangerous doctrines. We were already in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. We learn in Galatians that turning to another gospel is extremely dangerous. Paul uses strong language here concerning beliefs that do not, do not align with what God has said. That is why we have confessions of faith. Confessions of faith have dealt with some of these more controversial matters and some that you can even list out probably hundreds of different controversial matters and confessions have typically addressed them. I've counted about maybe 15 different confessions of faith. There probably are more. These confessions of faith help to keep Christians from falling into heresy as these confessions have addressed many challenges to Orthodox Christianity. Any questions? I know I'm going really fast. Am I going too fast? Okay, all right. So are there any questions on confessions? All right. So this uh, section here will talk about 
the helpfulness of confessions and creeds. So the Apostles' Creed, as I mentioned before, it's a belief statement. It starts off, for example, with, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So creeds, they're, they're, they're broad, they're short, uh, and, and with this particular creed, as early as the second century, Christians used statements of faith like these, like this one, Apostles' Creed, to publicly declare their faith in Christ. Actually, these statements were even used prior to a public declaration of faith at baptism. The uh, 1689 Baptist Confession, uh, this is another one that our church subscribes to, and it drew its inspiration from the confessions that were drawn up with the Westminster Assembly of Divines a generation earlier. It differs from the Westminster in matters such as baptism, the Lord's Supper, church government, and of course, the Westminster is used mostly by Presbyterians, but maybe used by others, and 1689 is generally used by, by Baptists. The next one I'll look at is the New Hampshire Confession, which we also subscribe to here. Uh, this is a clear and concise statement of, of, of faith that is in harmony with the doctrines of older confessions, but it's in a milder form. It's, it's a milder confession of faith. And then lastly, the Baptist faith and message, that's a, that's a 2000 statement. Uh, it honors the principles of soul competency on the priesthood of believers, affirming both our liberty in Christ and accountability to each other under the word of God. So that is an explanation of why it is important for us to have confessions and creeds. Again, confessions and creeds, they do not supersede the scriptures, they do not replace the scriptures, they do not replace church membership or our fellowship with other believers, but they're helpful and they're useful and they have stood the test of time. They've been challenged over history and uh, just like our brother here said, I mean the Nicene Creed, reliable, the Apostles' Creed, reliable, and there are many confessions that are reliable as well. Um, I would even say that some confessions that maybe we don't subscribe to here um, are, are fine. We just may differ on some, some of those points that uh, make us distinct from other Christians, but they're Christians nonetheless. So we have a few minutes here for questions or discussion points that anyone may have. Yes. Sure, sure, absolutely, yes. Um, I love catechisms. We use them in our house. I mean, there's a, um, a Baptist catechism that kind of goes with the 1689 that we've been using in our house for probably about, let's see, about eight or nine years. Before that, we used in our house uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We use that, even though we have pretty much always been credo-baptists. Um, we saw the Westminster as a reliable um, catechism. So we used that for probably about three or four years until we were made aware of the Baptist catechism. But again, I mean, catechisms are helpful. Um, they're short question-answer statements that prompt the, the hearer and the reader to ponder and think about, okay, this particular question. 
What is the chief end of man, right? That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism, to glorify God and to worship him forever, right? So you got question and answer, make you think about that. And then it helps to, when you're later in life, what I've heard is that many who've had catechism experience in their background, that later it helped them to um, embrace their faith even more. Uh, I don't have that experience because I wasn't catechized as a child, but you can feel free to talk to my children. They'll give you uncensored, uncut, positive, negative, good, bad about catechisms. Any other questions or thoughts on confessions, creeds? Okay, well, uh, yes. Resources for history on them? Yes. Okay, so, um, yes, I actually have a lot of citations I can email out. There is a, uh, there's a really good site that I use for a lot of the resources, and I can look that up later for you. Um, I may actually even have... Um, yeah, I can, I can email that out to, to you all. Um, I, but I have a bunch of sources here. Instead of reading out the websites and stuff, I can, um, I can send that out. But um, if you look at any, um, uh, what are, they're called, um, uh, Wayne Grudem has them, uh, what are they called? So yeah, if you look at systematic theology, a lot of those, like Michael Horton has one as well. If you look at some of those resources, a lot of times they'll have um, confessions and creeds in there, and they'll have a history or a reference to that. So that just off the top of my head, I, I know that systematic theologies typically have uh, confessions and creeds in them. At least some of them. At least some. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. Uh, would you uh, close us in prayer? All right. Thank you.